gentlemen, hello again and welcome back to Don't Worry About the Government. My name is Chris Novembrino. It is Sunday morning and you know what that means. It means Meet Depressed. And joining me here today on Meet Depressed is Dan Carpenter and Robert. How are you doing today here, guys? Welcome to the panel show. Doing, doing well, Chris. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Doing good. Doing good. Uh, no, that's great. That's great. I'm glad to have you all here. Um, so, a lot of news this week. Uh, I mean, honestly, there is more news than I have been able to keep up with uh, to my chagrin. Like, I keep saying I need to do this world news episode. And I say it. And then I basically just linger and feel guilty about it and don't ever get around to it. And this is yet another episode where we are not getting around to much world news. It's basically... Well, okay, I got like the planet is dying, but I, you know, like there are countries around the world that I like to talk about. Like we're once again doing America and then space in the world and, and not a lot of other countries in the world. I, I that, that gap continues to linger. Um, but uh, you guys want to get into these headlines here? Absolutely. All right. So we are currently in the midst of a sizable coronavirus spike after what had been a june of good news um and by good news i mean the coronavirus levels in the united states had gotten down to what i would consider to be an acceptable level of risk really at any given time which is about ten thousand cases um Look, uh, there are probably 10,000 cases of any number of different diseases floating around the United States at any given point. That There's only a tracker. You only know how to find a tracker for one of them. It's not like you're sitting around and tracking the flu um, and tracking some of these other things. So 10,000, not bad, not bad. Um, since the end of June um, and July 4th weekend, we have arrived back at a point now where we have well over 50,000 cases a day. Um, and the... Delta variant has proven to be fairly effective um, in combating some of the vaccine's um, immunization effects. Um, the vaccine is only about, uh, by the vaccine, I mean like the Pfizer and Moderna one-shot vaccines. Um, I'm not so sure about the J&J, or I'm sorry, those are the two shots. I'm not so sure about the J&J. Um, but the two-shot vaccines seem to be in the 60s uh, percentage-wise in terms of efficacy against the Delta variant. So obviously much better than no protection whatsoever. But also, um, now, you know, now we are a little bit in a race to update the vaccine and keep the vaccines current as well. Um, in addition to a race to deal with the issues that are arising from um, this new spread of the coronavirus, and, and and then the biggest issue here is a breaking of public will. Um, public will to wear masks. Public will. I mean, obviously, we're talking a lot about vaccine, but but let talk about the vaccine, especially for our side, is a little bit easy. I think what's a little bit harder is uh, talking about masks. And a lot of people, even on our side of the wall, they're not wearing masks now. Um, and, and getting people to go back to a wearing mask culture, I think, is going to be extraordinarily hard. Absolutely. Um, the people, people are definitely tired of the masks. And they're also, I mean, there, there's also a, uh, there's, there's a financial incentive. There's a, there's an economic, uh, there's been economic pressure put on to, to return to work, to return to, to return to normalcy. And, uh, 
I, I think people are really going to be wanting to put their fingers in their ears and la, 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 through anything that's uh, disrupting that at this point. Like it's, it's, it's tough to hear after a year and a half of dealing, dealing with this. One of the things that uh, I'm seeing is, is the Biden administration has really been pushing for a, I did it, we, we did well, we're going back to normal, pushing for schools to open, pushing for, you know, pushing for a return to normalcy before we're at, you know, the vaccine, vaccine levels that will actually make normalcy real. So that's connecting with a lot of Democrats and, you know, we're, they don't like the masks are no fun. And so suddenly, you know, it's just like, okay, we're just going to pretend it's all over. I, there will be a quote from July 4th weekend that I don't think will necessarily have political resonance. Uh, It won't be remembered in the history books, but it, it was something from either Jill or Joe Biden where I think it was Jill who was like, isn't it so nice to have your mask off? Like, it, essentially, she basically said what you just said, Robert, which is, aren't these masks no fun? Isn't it nice to be in a mass or overtime now? Um, and obviously, that was bad when Trump was saying it or when Trump refused to wear a mask. I mean, like, Trump refused to even wear a mask. Like, let, let us never forget that. Um, but now that that is also getting messaged to rank and file democrats it only further affirms what republicans already believe about mass and maybe further affirms that maybe trump and their guys were right about mass all along and now it's sort of telling to democrats COVID is over um when we just had the numbers up here on the video feed uh for those who support over at patreon.com dwatg uh, we had 45,000 cases as a seven-day average this week um, and 63,000 cases here on Sunday with the trend line moving up over the week. Um, Dan and I were talking before the show. Uh, I'll let you I'll let you get back into this. But how essentially you kind of backtrack. I've been mentally backtracking how I feel about the numbers and trying to put them in context of last year because it's the only way I can really understand these COVID levels. Well, it's, I mean, ac- acutely here, here in Sonoma County, we've been – uh, just as every every progressive week that's gone on, we've we've uh, we were at uh, 50, fifty an average of fifty hospitalizations uh, uh, a week over over uh, fifty hospitalizations over a five day average, uh, which was uh, what where we were at just after the uh, vaccines started to be introduced to people below 65. And now we're back. Now we're at, I, I believe uh, up to almost 60 cases, which is uh, it. We're, I mean, we, there's half a million people in this County. Like that's not a, it's a very affluent County. It's not, but it's, it, it mirrors the same trend. It's the, the the shape of the line is exactly the same it's not it's not just happening in these like all these ignorant redneck areas or these ignorant republican areas like sonoma county is about as affluent and progressive a county like as you could get in the country it and it's it's not especially urban it it has both urban aspects but it's it's also farm country it's wine country like it's very outdoors like it is a uh it's not necessarily some place that uh, you would like if you if it was just the damn unvaccinated's not doing their not doing their thing. Like we're over sixty percent here in the county. Like 
I think I think we're well. We- I think in some cases we're fighting with each other when it like maybe we're just not giving the virus enough credit for starters here. Like like maybe this mutation's like fairly legit, and you know, COVID out there doing the work, doing that hard work of mutating, changing yourself. It's so hard to change. COVID's out there doing it all the time. That's, I mean, you know. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What I think is happening is the vaccinated people can still are getting it at a higher rate but they're not dying as much. But what they are doing is passing it around. It's, I mean, that's a, that's another interesting thing. So like hospitalization rates, uh, especially, that's one thing the vaccine seems to have been very good yeah. at is even if you get it, your odds of going to the hospital are much lower. Oh. Like, so this is just going to be an ass kicker it's at home. Only, only 2.5% of hospitalizations are from breakthrough cases, which... Uh, I mean, is still is still kind of is two two and a half percent. Like when you're dealing at like a population level, is still a scary number. Like it's not a negligible thing, but it's not. It's not like it's not like half. It's you're not like ro- you're not rolling the dice necessarily. Or you're not. Yeah, in- but it is something like three million Americans. Yes, ab- absolutely. That's that's when you're dealing with that large of a number. Like it's. Uh, it's a lot of lies. No, no, it's, it's it's more that the vaccine gives your body a fighting chance to fight COVID. So, like, I mean, you know, there's how many stories have we seen over the last month of like these people who are in the hospital getting intubated, either all of a sudden want the vaccine or still don't want the vaccine at this late a date or whatever. Um, and, and the doctor has to tell them it's too late. And I, you know, I, I've now I'm like thinking maybe the better way of understanding the vaccine for the unvaccinated is like, look, you want to give your immune system the best chance to fight off COVID-19 because you think your immune system is strong enough to beat this thing. It might be, but it also might not be. And it also might land in the middle where you win, but it's like Antietam. It kicks your ass along the way. Well, that's right. Right now, a lot of our the the statistic around 70%, like pushing for 70% of Americans to be vaccinated. That is Americans that are eligible to be vaccinated. That is not taking in, yes, adults, taking into account adults. the entire population of children. And the for, for me, the terrifying thing about COVID, something, something that made me very, very compliant with all the orders, made me want to get vaccinated right away is the, the possibility of the like, yeah, you you beat you beat COVID, but now you're on dialysis, or like you need to be you need to you need to take uh, medication for your heart for the rest of your life, and like th- those are those are outcomes that could affect people like teenagers and, uh, yeah, the no, pushing pushing for schools to be like that. This is the the Biden push for like normalizing schooling is one of the things that has. Uh, that I have been the most against. I I don't have kids. I'm not trying to get them out of the house, but it just seems like a, it seems like a it it feels performative in in it's like it's it's trying to give people a sense of normalcy, but like we can't you can't just force that shit. Like it's not a well, yeah. One of the things that Trump's done that Biden hasn't tried to over overturn is just like this reality distortion effect where I can say it and make people think it's true. I can say we've beat COVID and and my base will believe it and just go that way when that's not where we are. I mean, you know, he's also like dragged, you know, 
vaccination for students, like that conversation has changed where it used to be, no, everyone understood that you could force children to get their vaccines if they were going to go to public school. And the Biden administration has done absolutely nothing to challenge that norm that Trump created. I mean, as I look back over the last month now, and we have some distance from the July 4th deadline that the Biden administration arbitrarily set for themselves. On one hand, I want to not exonerate, but sort of forgive some optimistic thinking among the Biden White House, looking at the numbers going into late May, even into the early weeks of June. I mean, again, you look at the numbers under 20,000. I don't know. I like at a certain point, like you do want to go like, maybe we maybe we got a handle on this thing. But I will I think forever look back at the arbitrary nature of the July 4th deadline and just deciding that we needed to have a July 4th deadline to celebrate our Independence Day from COVID um as as a complete and total mistake, especially with the intention of reopening schools here um the vaccine and the vaccination rate among kids is not where it needs to be and if you're really all in on reopening schools i think it needs to be safety summer rather than normalcy summer i think that this july 4th deadline certifiably a mistake especially if you're not going to go all in on maximizing incentives to get people vaccinated. Well, and, not just incentive, but if you want to go all in on opening schools, you, you have to force children to be vaccinated to go. Otherwise, bad stuff's going to happen. Like you got to have you, sticks it, and carrots. I, I, I agree that there, look, I'm not saying there should be no sticks. I am saying that the Biden administration and largely speaking, like left policy thinking about the carrots part of how do we get more people vaccinated has been a big problem. It's all been about sticks. It's you can't go to school. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And meanwhile, the Republicans get to play the good guy. And they're like, hey, we're not going to allow you to get discriminated against for not wearing a mask, uh, especially if you've already been vaccinated. I think that I think the one one carrot that they actually grabbed onto of if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask was one of the worst that they could have done, because even as as we as we vaccinated out the population, we still needed like one or two uh, incubation periods of the virus of like, you needed it to be wide enough and people to be masked for long enough. Like we had the goal of 70% being July 4th and California opened everything up two weeks before that, like, like got rid of their mask mandate for anybody who was vaccinated before that. And so it was, it was like, we, we were so close to like, we we this uh this flattening out could have been much more effective had we just kept the masks going a little bit longer while we kept the kept it going but the one incentive they gave is if you're masked you do, if you're vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask anymore without any way of actually enforcing who uh like yeah yeah and I, I want to be clear about that versus who's that's, masked. that's a no more sticking yes that's not a that's not even a carrot um that is we're not hitting you with the stick anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh yeah no and, th and that's the other part of this um so and the, uh, the the other big problem as you were getting into and i sort of stepped on you is the 
issue then becomes how do you possibly know who isn't isn't enforced who doesn't doesn't get masked passes and the idea that you were going to dump this all back on Tom Thumb and Kroger and Albertsons and all these grocery stores to have like a door guy to regulate everyone's vaccine cards or, you know, because the state doesn't want to do its job um, or nudge people to go and get vaccine or incentivize people to go and get vaccine. I think the lottery system's a little gross, but I'd rather that because at least the lottery system's the potential of a carrot than no more sticking. Yes. I, I would have oh, yeah. loved I would have loved more financial incentives for for everybody. I mean, here in California, I was uh, automatically entered in a in a lottery that had all kinds of uh, levels of prizes and uh, incentives. But there's 10 million people, so I, I don't. <laughs> it's pretty diffuse. I would I would have loved a, a hundred bucks hundred bucks for everybody who did it, rather than like uh, one like 10 people getting 40 grand. <laughs> And, and I say that number for a hundred bucks for every American people are like, Oh my God. I'm like, all right, let's, let's put the, we'll this back y'all. There have been stimulus checks that have been going out the, like the last year. Like this is not like an obscene unheard of thing. Uh, I had somebody go, well, Chris, if you give a hundred bucks to every American, you're infantilizing them um, for doing something that they already ought to be doing. Um, and my response to this person like this person, but my response to this person was, well, if they were not children, they would be going and getting the vaccine. So, like, maybe I'm meeting these people where, they where they're at. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I, I'm not I'm not trying – to your point, I'm not trying to change them. I'm no longer trying to, like, sneer down my nose and be like, you're so stupid. Why can't you read the science? Not that I was before. Like, why don't you get it? I'm like – Here's a hundred bucks. If you want to go and lie to your buddies at the bar afterwards and talk about how bad Obama is and how much you hate his vaccine afterwards, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, here's a hundred bucks. So if you want a hundred bucks for beer money tonight, I mean, you know, the vaccine's right down in the corner and they say it's pretty safe. Like everyone else seems to be doing it, getting beer money. Um, like that's what I want to do. I want to let them quietly do the right thing. It's not about me embarrassing them. It's not me about. It's not about me having the evangelical. I've been saved by liberalism moment. Um, like I just want them to just go and get the fucking shot. Yeah. Goo goo gaga. Here's your lolly. Like, and, and, and the cost on this. The other other thing is people. Oh, it's gonna cost so much. How much the, is the cost on this? Three hundred fifty million people times one hundred. Y'all do the math. Um, if it was 350 billion, it's not, it's 35 billion. Um, even if it was 350 billion, it's still not that expensive of a government program. Um, and oh, by the way, given the way we understand stimulus economics, it's essentially another form of micro stimulus. And this is the perfect sort of stimulus that's guaranteed to go back into disposable income and support places like bars, movie theaters, um, and other places that it, it is all the disposable income places that will actually get hit with this rather than landlords and that sort of thing it's your local bar like what, what i'm joking about the guy going down to his local bar i'm not really joking the guy's not taking 100 bucks he might give it to his phone bill he might give it to his cable company but he's just as likely to get the 100 bucks and then go and get a drink because he has the day off because he's getting the vaccine yeah i would i would go further and say make it 500 for the first shot and 500 for the second shot you know i mean the the responsibility goes really where well with with freedom and you know people are 
people who don't want to go get it, it's like, okay, fine. You know, if you don't want to behave responsibly, then, you know, well, here's, here's some carrots and sticks. And I don't really feel bad about that. Well, there is like limited, limited chatter about another round of stimulus checks. Um, and one thing I am sort of in favor of that's carrot plus stick is, well, if you want your next stimulus check, they will be available at the vaccine pickup point. Um, and, and if you're already vaccinated, just show your card. You'll get your stimulus. If you're already vaccinated, we'll send you your check. But if you're not already vaccinated, they'll be available at the at the vaccine like point. Or and if you really really don't want to get vaccinated, there's a third very arduous process for you to go through. But you can go through it. Uh, yeah, like but but I'm 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 fine with having like the pickup point for the next stimulus check be at the vaccination site. Uh, can, you, yeah. can you imagine all the people who don't want to tell their friends get to get that they got vaccinated? all like go on the same day and see all of their friends who also want to lie about it at the same time. And, and then their friends are like, so wait, you didn't want the $1,200 stimulus? And, <laughs> and the guy's like, I have my principles, damn it. <laughs> I joke, I joke. But when we are talking about changing the tune of some of these people, um, I don't think it's about us. Be I don't think it's about all of us being nicer um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's about the media being nicer. I, I, I mean, I think it's good, frankly, that the media is showing, I, I mean, I'm not trying to laugh at these people and I do hate it when people laugh at these people who die in the hospital rooms because they didn't want to get the vaccine, but I think it's actually good and instructive in, in the same way that showing the bodies during the Iraq war was a good and instructive exercise for understanding the realities of the war. I think showing the, the hospital rooms of the people who stubbornly do not want to understand what is going on is good and sobering and contextualizing. It's not pleasant. We shouldn't be tap dancing any more than you should be tap dancing when you see dead soldiers' coffins getting filed off the plane. But you should look at it and solemnly recognize, like, yeah, okay, this is fucking real. Like, I got to take this seriously. I, I think it's good and clarifying to have that. Um, but I just don't think it's like, I mean, even these doctors aren't reaching these people. I tend to think in a lot of ways, it's not about reasoning. It's about persuading. And persuasion can be done through force and, you know, that sort of thing and cajoling. But like, also, bribing tends to be a pretty effective form of persuasion, and maybe it's like less about words and more about green. Well, I think another piece of it is they have to be personally affected when they know someone who got a serious case and is a lifelong disability, or they know someone who's died, then now it's a real thing. But until then, it's uh, yes. Yeah, I, I will say that a, a cleavage point in sort of inside of Republicans that I have seen are the people who have been personally affected by COVID-19 and the people who have not been personally affected by COVID-19 who are very philosophically and dogmatically committed to like, I'd rather have a dangerous freedom and I'd rather have a dangerous freedom sounds monstrous to the 62 year old woman who lost her friend who was 68 to after a lengthy battle uh, with COVID-19 and it was a lifelong friend. Like, you know, the cost of dangerous freedom to that 62-year-old woman is now I have to live out the rest of my years without my best friend. And I thought we had 10 more good years left at least. Well, yeah, if it's a dangerous freedom for myself, it's one thing. If it's a dangerous freedom for your family, that starts to look really different. That we had 
we just we went through a year and a half where a lot of these people in in spite of them feeling victimized by the lockdowns like they were they were protected by the economy being shut down to the degree that it was they were protected by the all of the people who were being compliant all of the people who who readjusted their lives for covid-19 and now that things are reopening it's spreading th those protections that they hated that they resented that they that felt so oppressive to them are gone and it's it the virus has the virus has spread everywhere and so like they're not protected by isolation they're not protected because they're in a rural community like the the delivery driver coming into town like is is going from every like place the those protections are now gone and so i think that that we're going to talk about it probably a little bit later with uh Hannity and stuff, but the, the I think that has been ha, that's been doing some of the the tune changing. What little tune changing has? Yeah, has and before we get into Hannity, these, I I, uh, I mean I, I want to stop there real quick and like exonerate all of us. Uh, a fun a fun a fun exercise. I I do love a good uh, a good uh, I'm not the bad guy here sort of moment. But like, <laughs> let us ruminate on that point here, dear listeners. That. All of us, and I know this because, like, I, I, you know, I haven't talked to an anti-masker who listens to the show here. Like, I, I know everyone's like, you know, on the trolley here with this shit. Um, we have all been in various ways making sacrifices to try to get back to normalcy, a heartfelt and desired normalcy. Like, I like teaching music to young children and young adults and developing young musicians. And it's important to me to be able to do that safely. And while the last year has been really good and me getting better at teaching remotely and like actually adding a different element into my career skill set, like, there's a real joy of bringing my bass with the drum machine over, going in like in, into the studio and jamming with a kid on some Ramon songs. Like we were doing Now I Want to Smith Some Glue the other day and Chainsaw the other day and like in the room and really rocking out. It rules. I love playing at parties and entertaining people. Parties where there's open food and there's a whiskey bar and a cigar bar there. Like where people are having a good time and being entertained and stuff. Like we've all all been making these sacrifices um, because we all earnestly want society to be reopened. And when you read like Michael Brennan Doherty's um, National Review piece, or you listen to some of these conservatives, like when they don't even believe us when we tell them that we we want society reopened just like they do. And that we're doing our best and we really earnestly believe that masking up getting the vaccine, cleaning regularly, having social distancing, risk mitigation is the way for us to continue forward and that we should be conservative in our approach to how much interaction we're having with each other rather than being liberal and absolutely risk averse because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Fundamentally, for for maybe the first time in all of our lives as libs and lefties or whatever, we've really embraced something deeply conservative in our mindset. We stay in, we wear masks, we do risk mitigation. Um and we, there's been no reward. The pro-life crowd, the people who've been telling us their whole lives that every life is sacred, that they all matter, everyone matters, and we, that's why we have to force them all to be brought onto the planet. Um, 
they also are just as quickly willing to let grandma die um, and embrace the title of grandma killer semi-ironically and like put it on their Twitter profiles and stuff. The real into bodily autonomy. Right. I, I mean, it's my body, my choice. Right. It, it, so, like, yeah, I get, if you're exhausted with these fucking people, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that you, we've all had this experience with the type of person who makes these exhausting circular arguments. And, like, I feel like now more than ever, conservatism has really been in this circular argument where you just can't reason with them. They were so quick to say, let us all take hydroxychloroquine. And we were like, hey, there's no science behind that. Hey, maybe we should get some science or any sort of medical information to support that. Uh, But they were like, no, 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 we need to buy hydroxychloroquine. It's fantastic Trump's taking it, and it's fantastic that he's stockpiling all this hydroxychloroquine. Meanwhile, a vaccine developed by reputable companies, um, specifically for the applied scientific purpose, not malaria, but in fact, actually COVID-19 comes out. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's not safe. Oh, where's the science behind that? Oh, I don't know enough about this. Oh, I don't want to do it. Where was this for hydroxychloroquine? Where was this skepticism when Trump was pimping that three weeks into an outbreak as the miracle cure? Yeah, I get I get why people are frustrated. I really do. A lot of them. I've just I just have said I'm just I'm over talking about it with you. I'm I'm done. You're going to make your own choice. I'm going to make mine. We have to work together. Good luck. <laughs> and that's it. It's it's not that I don't care. Um, Obviously, I want I and mean, this is why I earnestly was sitting here going like, so like, what's the answer then? Because uh, I'm not willing, in the same way that I'm not willing to accept let the planet die um, as an answer to global warming, let them, I, being a pesky, live lefty, whatever, um, let them die is just usually not a convenient answer for me. I don't like that one. It's usually really unpalatable to me. Um, I want them to get the shot. That's why I'm like, let them have their pride, and I'll give them their pride and a hundred bucks. I want them to live and vote against me and be a pain in the ass against me in every single election and hate my lifestyle and fight hard to keep marijuana illegal in a losing battle. And one day I'll beat them, and I want them to live to see the day where I'm smoking weed in their face um like i want them to live though i earnestly deeply want them to live so i can beat their asses well you know that's something that you and sean hannity and mitch mcconnell may agree on as it seems is that you know they have decided that they don't want all their voters to die when democrats aren't dying so you may have found common ground have they though (laughs) have they though I think that that so we we well at the this will be the end of seg one here, but I think this is a, this is a good place to take it, right? So this week we had Fox News is an interesting place, right? Like I, we we've sort of talked about Michael Brandardi's National Review article. I'll read a little. Uh, I'll take a look and see if there's anything I want to read specifically. It's lengthy. It's well argued. It's a bad argument, but he does. A, I mean, Darty's a hell of a writer. Don't don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Um, hell of a writer. Okay, thinker. Um, got wrong on this. Um, like, like actually wrong on the fundamental argument here. But Hannity's been very interesting. It's sort of Fox News this week serves as an interesting rebuttal to Doherty in this sense. If Fox News wasn't to blame. 
for the Republican base and the Trump base being so anti-vax, you would not be seeing this sudden changing in messaging on vaccines and whether or not they are good in this internecine war between Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. The, the very presence of an internecine war belies the fact that Fox News is a place where anti-vax opinions get equal footing at absolute minimum with pro-vax opinions. But I think all of us who sort of are loosely familiar with Fox News know that pretty much most pro-vaccine positions, like when Steve Ducey was briefly pro-vax, that got met with hostility. Um, like the pro-vax position on Fox News um, is underrepresented um, by a massive margin in relation with reality, but but even in a fair and balanced way, the anti-vax position it has more than the uh, fair side of the balance. Well, I think you you kind of have to understand the difference between the people running Fox News and the Mitch McConnell mindset. You know, Fox News they're going to make sure that taxes never go up and businesses aren't regulated, and that's beginning and end what they care about. But Mitch McConnell has realized that he's killing off his own voters and not killing off Democrats, and that's going to be a problem later. But they can't exactly come out and say, yeah, we've been lying to you for a year and a half while people are dying. So they have to like walk this politically delicate balance of maybe you should go talk to your doctor because we I might lose the Senate if you don't. But I can't tell you that I've been lying to you. It's it's also I mean. Fox's primary demographic being people over the age of 60 or at, at least on the on the older age of the spectrum. And Mitch McConnell in particular being like Mitch McConnell has lived with a disability for most of his life because he had polio. Like the, the like most of these people lived through the polio outbreak. And for, for them to be so anti-vax, like the anti-vax sentiment was like uh like a a crystal crystal energy granola lefty thing for many years or or a a very very uh um hyper orthodox like uh or like like a super evangelical thing it was it was like so so small prior to RFK and um oh what's what the hell is the british doctor's name he's a one of the worst humans to ever exist. Um, uh, with with the the like he, he started uh, the vaccine, the, yeah, the yes, anti-vax yes, autism yeah. stuff, and that it 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 exploded uh, exploded the anti-vax mindset. People um, also vastly overstate how complicated these vaccines are. Like, and also, I, I mean, like what you're getting to with McConnell and stuff, I think is almost worse than anti-vaxism. It's vax ambivalence. It's like the Pontius Pilate response to here we have Jesus, here we have Barabbas, you have the vaccines, you have the anti-vaccines, I'm washing my hands of this, you make your choice. When a guy like Mitch McConnell knows that 
The polio vaccine was developed in the middle of the last century. They didn't have computers. They didn't have computers. The labs that they made the polio vaccines in were not space age labs. You could go to any developing country in the world and see a lab of similar like scientific levels as what they made and successfully distributed and defeated fucking polio with in the 20th century. Like... They know better. They know that's what I, that's also what it makes me so angry about it. Well, I don't I don't think anybody's accused Mitch McConnell of being terribly moral any time in the last 20 years, have they? <laughs> that's I mean, the damn he's really truth. just being true to character. Um, so it, it's I mean, what was interesting, though, about the Fox thing for me um, as we're kind of finishing this seg is that. They seem like it seemed like there was an actual debate in house about we need to start actually pushing this vaccine thing and at the end of the week here it seems like they've already started to run away from that um having Hannity the primetime commentary guy flirt around with the anti-vax or, or the pro-vaccine stuff um was clearly a test balloon and the other thing that I noticed here is Tucker Carlson this week established that he is bigger than Sean and that Sean is the is not the top dog at Fox News anymore and what Tucker thinks is what Fox thinks um and 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 how much of that is an interplay between the network and Tucker is an interesting convo of course but the person who seems to be the odd man out right now seems to be Sean Hannity and he's a big loser coming out of this week well um didn't Sean Hannity like when Trump went uh you know fox is the radical left and the meat press that's against you and and uh trump went to uh oh what was his name he's now touring with a different uh talking head and i think that kind of created the split between like the right and hannity yeah i i don't know the fallout from the michael cohen stuff too you remember hannity was one of cohen's clients so i don't know there might be some like super backstage stuff that we're not privy to that might be uh falling out between trump and hannity specifically after co remember cohen was like one of the cohen had like four clients and hannity was one of them um so like like there you know there might be legal stuff that is mucking things up here too also in the news this week, in a cascade of headlines that all fit together just too well to not comment on, in the same week as the Bezos, the world's, well, I, oh, he was the world's richest man. I think he's like the second richest man now. Well, the he first, had the world's most expensive affair, and now he's not the world's richest man. Anymore. That's also true. That's also true. And uh, he went to outer space this week, which is also true. Um, getting me one step closer to my dream of seeing a billionaire die in space. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, they talk often about those seven minutes of hell, uh, in, entering into Mars. And I do hope that I live long enough to see Elon Musk get incinerated, uh, in a fiery blaze as he tries to enter into Mars unsuccessfully. Uh, that, but that we got one step closer awesome. this week. Yeah. Uh, look, um. It's hard to look at that headline and not look at some of the weather and climate news coming out this week and sort of see a connection of like, well, let's talk about the climate news first. The Russian permafrost has started to thaw to the point where it is releasing lots of carbon into the atmosphere and they're uncovering mammoth bones. And what has alarmed me the most about the 
mammoth bones and all of these things that have been frozen for tens of thousands of years um, has been that the media's reaction to this has largely been, oh, isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? Isn't it a, a kind of a nifty thing that we're finding all these artifacts and that sort of thing? And the answer is, of course, no. And there are also going to be diseases and viral strains in the Arctic permafrost that uh, hung around in prehistoric times, or, you know, not prehistoric, like Jurassic times, but like, you know, old times when it was cold. And they've been there for tens of thousands of years, but they also were created in a time when the human population was one, biologically hardier. Um, as in, like we were stronger, we could handle the the human body could withstand more diseases and that sort of thing. They've done studies on that. Our bodies have gotten weaker as time has gone on, and we've gotten better at using technology. Um, we were of stronger stock, and there are fewer of us. So when these diseases would spread around the planet, they would eventually kind of corner themselves, get into a pocket with the human population, and if they were really good at what they did, they just kill themselves off. Um, that's no longer a situation in a planet that has eight billion people on it. Um, that yeah, look at this chunk of woolly mammoth that was chewed on by something. Let me hold it up to my face and take uh, a it, picture. And all the ice, yeah, right. And, and we're gonna go and send a team in to go and check out this thing. And oh, of course, we're gonna get medically screened for all the diseases we know about when we're coming back, all the ones that we have on record. Um, but we don't have records of all these diseases hanging out in the ice. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's skin fell off on the plane. We don't know why. Like, uh, and so you have that happening. You have, obviously, the story coming out of Brazil and uh, the rainforest, the Amazon, where the eastern rainforest is now uh, producing more carbon than it is stopping. I am, of course, old enough to remember when I was sitting in school as a little boop, little boop, Novembrino, getting taught. All right, little Chris, remember... The Amazon is the Earth's lungs, and it breathes in all the carbon dioxide, and it emits oxygen. And, like, I'm reading this headline this week, and it's like the Amazon's gotten emphysema from smoking, and one of the lungs has collapsed. Um, and another sign that our planet is dying. Um, it is wounded. And that Final Fantasy VII was, in fact, a documentary shot in the future. And uh, not, not not like this hyperbole that I thought growing up of like, all right, all right, Barrett, chill out. We got to save the planet. They're going to destroy the... No, maybe, maybe Barrett's right. Maybe I should be doing that more often. Yeah, I was I was right when I was 19 and wanted to... Was was real into, like, Ludditism. <laughs> I, I mean, so... And, and then we have this other story about wild hogs that I saw, which I, I think, okay, kind of also gets us back into the vaccine discussion and how to like, okay, how do we better interact with conservatives? I, I mean, they clearly guys like Michael Brennan Daugherty want us to, you know, really introspect and think about this. And to, on today's episode, we're doing a little bit of that. Um, but like, we have this story about feral hogs where there are over 7 million feral hogs in the United States, and they're responsible for the carbon emissions that are the equivalent of 1 million cars. Um, they are, of course, extremely disruptive to populations. Um, and, and we have a similar issue with deer as well in many places where apex predators have been driven out. Um, at one level, you read all the time about the extinction of species. And of course, that's going to continue to be a problem. Here's the weird thing that's going to be happening concurrently. And that is kind of hard to get the brain around or requires the ability to hold like two ideas that seem to be slightly in tension with each other at the same time. 
There are species like, let's say, the shoebill stork that are endangered um, because there are decreasing wetlands in Africa. I know. Like, where did I pull that one from? It's just uh, that was the first one that popped in my head. Um, but meanwhile, you got warthogs or uh, wild boars, feral hogs, and stuff, and deer and stuff that are wildly overpopulating areas um, and can lead to population spikes and collapses and stuff in ways that can be really dangerous for the humans and the entirety of the animal and the environment around there. These these yeah, aren't these aren't wild these aren't wild hogs or wild boar. They're they're escaped domestic pigs that have that have gone feral. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they're not like, there are places with natural boar populations. Uh, these are, these are inter like reintroduced escaped invasive, like wild animals that are out competing the stuff that is that like the natural, uh, predators that were there. They're much like they'll, they'll out forage all of the small rodents that would support like mid-sized predators. And those mid-sized predators can't take down something that's that that's that big and aggressive. So like, unless you have like a native mountain lion population, like that's the only thing that's picking off <laughs> a boar. Like even, uh, even like a bobcat can't like take down that shit. Like they, the, the boar has a lot of weight. And they're the smart. And a lot of, they're like, smart. No, they're really, really yeah. smart. So, I mean, think about it like this guys for about 75 years or so. Uh, maybe more like 50, but like, really, I mean, how many generations of hogs at this point? Um, for generations, we pumped their genetics full of like super stuff for growing and that sort of thing. They're not getting that stuff. Well, very, very specifically, we reduced the amount of fat that they, we made them jacked. We put them on steroids. Essentially, we increased the, the, the fat to protein ratio. So they are just like yoked pigs. Uh, so the, it, <laughs> They're very healthy hearts. They're yoked, <laughs> big, smart. I, I mean, so like I, this sounds far-fetched in a weird way, but like the idea, I, I'll stop calling them wild boar. I'll, it just, it's like, uh, you just, you have the phrase, you're, wild pig, wild, wild pig. Wild That's exactly pig. how I was like, we new rule. Feral. Well, yeah, feral pig, wild feral pig. pig. I, I, I gotta go wild. I, I just, wild, wild is more fun than feral. Um, Like, like, like. Because they're not, they're not feral implies that they're supposed to be tame. I don't know that they're supposed to be tame. They're just wild now. Uh, I, I think I've thought for years that we should take these populations that need to be re reduced and give out hunting tags in supplement to food stamps in rural areas. That that's actually uh, well in in. I grew up in New Jersey where we had a, a terrible, terrible uh, deer overpopulation problem. Like the interface between, there's so many like corn and soybean fields and the, the population density, like not like one hard winter should have stabilized this equilibrium. I mean, it would be horrific. There would have been a lot of starvation of that population of that deer population, but we have so much agriculture that they're able to forage uh, forage all winter long. The winters aren't as bad as they used to be. There's, it's like every 25 minutes uh, in New Jersey, there's a, a deer-related car accident. Um, and so they, the, um, there are programs where hunters, after they've, uh, after they've um, harvested for the amount that uh, is appropriate for their tag, like the tag that they got, you're able to uh, get tags from a soup kitchen, go out and harvest a deer, and bring bring it like essentially supply these soup kitchens with uh with meat um 
and it was a it was a fairly fairly successful yeah no i'm, I'm glad you brought that up robert because like this kind of gets into the second topic that i think is important um we recently had like another mass gun tragedy i i suspect it won't be too long until we have another um and and i suspect uh because of that because of the society that we live in that you know Again, Democrats are going to be talking about gun control and that sort of thing. And and I want us to kind of be thinking about gun control policy in a more nuanced way where, like, on one hand, we talk about restrictions on getting guns while introducing maybe in the same package a program that encourages the hunting of populations like these wild pigs. Cause like now that we've talked about these wild pigs and what it, what a disruptive force they are. Let's talk about what the actual diagnosis is for the wild pig problem um, by professionals um, is that it is going to be necessary to call about 60% to 80% of these wild pig. And in order to do that in America, we're going to need the aid of skilled recreational hunters and we're going to need to encourage them to do this and them doing so is going to be good for the environment it's also going to provide meat in a time when meat is getting more scarce look it's not an accident that uh, you're hearing more about chicken sandwiches and it's not just because ricky's nashville hot is the hottest in dallas baby um it's because meat is getting more scarce the price of meat is going up um over the next 25 30 years red meat that sort of meat is going to be going up venison and this wild pig is going to be a very good source of meat um and we've already created this situation for ourselves so we might as well one do something that's good for the environment two um assuage people who think that we're trying to quote unquote take away their way of life that we're actually doing the opposite that we want to encourage and foster and support give a carrot to their way of life and say hey we don't just we don't just not want to get rid of your way of life we think your way of life has a place in our way of life and we want you to use your way of life in harmony with our way of life this whole working together thing that we're always talking about we want to work with you um I, i mean i think that Something like this can be a win on climate, can also be a win on gun control, and can be a win, quote unquote, for conservatives that they know that we're not like trying to take away their right to hunt, that we want them to hunt. It's the conservation part of the conservative uh, program. Like it, uh, it's. At long last, guys, we get that, that our that city would, lives and our country lives are different from one another, too. We we want to lean into that. Well, yeah. And, you know, if you want to deal with the problem of gun violence instead of just creating wedge issue voters, then you would have to do things like talking about, you know, disqualifying people with a domestic violence conviction from gun ownership. And full disclosure, I am a gun owner. You know, I'm so far left, you get your guns back. And listening to this, you know, culture war crap that's not, you're not going to pass gun control. You're not going to go take people's guns away. That's never going to happen in America. Like, it's absurd on its face. 
But boy, does it get the base to show up. Uh, and, and it's a strong message that I think becomes very hard to message against. Because, like, look, we always talk about how good the Republicans are at messaging. They're not invincible. Like, look, like, like we've watched them struggle on this COVID nineteen thing. Like uh, the first segment of the show that we we taped here. I mean, we were talking about how Mitch McConnell, the congressional Republicans, are actually laboring to find a way to message to their people to go and get this vaccine. Like, they're not. They're good. They're better at it than the Democrats, but they're not juggernauts at this either. And it, like if they're they're less terrible right. at it than we so are. if you have a position that says, no, actually, we have this whole hunting program package in the bill. And it's like a big it's like there are three parts of the bill and, and right in the middle, the glue that actually holds the whole thing together is this big win for conservatives where like we're going to set up like wild pig hunting ranges and we are going to help identify maybe even help get people out to um places where there are deer overpopulations to help get these deer numbers back down we want to tag and document what these populations are we want a better understanding of what they are we want to be liberally giving out permits and even training on how to use a hunting rifle um like it's all in the bill here people um so when you say we're trying to destroy your way of life have you read page 637 through like 852? Because that entire 200 page click is all about the hunting bill. What? Yeah, I deer mean, overpopulation in Oregon is creating a real danger on the highways because people keep plowing into these deer all the time. It's, it's, it's real. real. It's problem. real. No, um, I, I mean, oh, go ahead, Dan. And that, to go a down. degree, I mean, ironically enough, that is, that is, largely the case here in California. Uh, we have uh, here in wine country, the, the boars create a, now, now you got me going, Chris, the wild pigs create a, uh, um, create a real problem with the grapes. They, they will go in in late, late July, late August before, before these very, very fancy uh, wineries can pick their grapes and they will just graze themselves full. And you would not believe how good a wild pig tastes when it is ja- like when it is completely full of grapes. It's delicious. It is it is a sought after commodity. Like they're they're like uh, it's it's better. It's definitely better than grain finishing your. your so uh, so nice of you your, to your, stuff uh, yourself, little piggy. <laughs> it, um, but th- we ha- we do have we do have populate like uh, populations in especially in uh, after like wildfires come through, as uh, as new growth is coming up, the pigs can be really disruptive because they just go and they they'll graze everything off before it even gets a chance to recover, um, and so in those wildfire areas, they're like they've opened it up like anybody who wants a permit, you pay you pay your forty five bucks for your permit and you like you're you're good to go. But it's, I mean, on top of all of your other licenses and uh, everything else, but it's it's already, I mean, it's it's already part of the program here in California. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and like, I, I basically like, so like California's got, it's like fees or whatever. I'd want a Fed program. It's like, hey, guess what? We'll even comp your fees if you're just going to go and do the work. Like, like there's literally going to be no barrier whatsoever. We'll cover permitting. We'll cover training. Um, If you want to go out and do it, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you set up with a hunting rifle, a hunting rifle um, to go and hunt. 
Um, and, and then the other part of this too, um, like we we're just focusing on the hunting part of this. The other part of this too is I think this could be great for some of these communities for barbecues, community events, um, you know, big, big kind of cookoffs and stuff. It can be part of like the local heritage festival every year after the big wild pig hunt. Uh, what do you do with a wild pig? I don't know, but pulled pork sounds delicious all of a sudden, especially if they're stuffed with some of those grapes. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that could, that, I think it, it could be a big win-win and it can show that like, look, I, I, one of the challenges with policy in this country, America is always going to be that you have blue cities, um, on the coast of this country. And it's always going to be that way. There's going to be a few blue cities through the middle here. Um, and then through the big interior of this is going to be big, wide open spaces. Montana, your entire life is going to be big and wide open. Ditto with Wyoming and Idaho and Kansas and Nebraska. You name these places. If anything, they'll get more sparse as time goes on, even as the population increases, which will make the blue cities even denser. There's always going to be this like two-track America thing. And good policy in America needs to reflect that we actually understand the real two-track nature of this and that we're trying to do things that are wins for both tracks of America. There is, there is a way to interface those tracks where it's synergistic instead of a, uh, a conflict point. Like there, there, is, there is merit to, to both to both lifestyles, there is there is advantages to to both of those things, and then there's also very distinct disadvantages. And the more that we can work to to maximize the advantage, first, I mean, this is it's fairly banal, but it's no, like, it's, it's banal, but it's, it, well, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's fairly, no, it's missing there. from our policy, right? Like, like no, like so Absolutely. much of policy and stuff that i mean because it all comes out of blue cities whether we're talking about like thinky tanks in dc or talking about brooklyn like sort of like leftist stuff it's all coming out of a city and very often it it really doesn't get that like they're the rest of the country like I, I, for as much progress as we progressives want to bring like the end of the day kansas is still mostly going to look like kansas like like you know wichita topeka might be more bitching of cities maybe slightly um but like you know you know what i mean like 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 the, the uh, it, it, it's possible to overstate like i'm not trying to magically transform missouri into something else i'm you know trying to find a we need to have a policy that can make things better in the cities that we all live in um and not be stopped by these weird fears from people in these, you know, distant places that like were coming to take their tractor from them for some reason. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the first step to getting there is for everybody to start wanting to talk, one, talk to each other and two, hold their politicians accountable instead of cheering for their team doing terrible. Things. That's also true. Uh, I mean, and, th and that gets into uh, like, well, okay, real quickly here. Um, we have Trump surfacing again at yet another event this weekend. And this one was notable um, on an upcoming episode of Shake Them Ropes, my, my wrestling show. It's like an Ask Me Anything show. So if you ever wanted to check that out and wanted to hear something that was like the least wrestling as possible, that's probably the episode that'll be out next week. I get asked, does Trump use kayfabe? Um, and if you want to hear like the long form answer of that, I you, you'll hear me go into that um, to give something fresh. For people um after we taped that he did this event here on friday night or saturday um and 
he very clearly said um, in no unclear terms that he won the election in 2020 and that there is actually still legitimately a chance that, you know, they will certify the vote or look at the routers. Uh, Trump knows the routers, the routers, the routers. Folks, the routers you got to love. It's unbelievable what's on the routers. We won even in spite, even without the routers. We we very clearly won, but the routers. God, the I routers, have to folks. give it to Sonny Bunch. Sonny Bunch put it best. Like, I want nothing more now than to hear Donald Trump explain how to set up, like, Wi-Fi in your house. Just just like basic Wi-Fi in your house. All right. First, you need to contact your ISP. But yeah. Uh, I, he doesn't have any idea what that. Like, like it's. It's funny because it, then a new talking point that he's very fond of now is he like literally explains what disinformation does. Like it, it's, it's actually very devious because it's like literally like it's like he says I am lying to you essentially, and then like people are like yeah yeah yeah. And now that I said I am lying to you, let me remind you once again that I won the election in twenty twenty. Uh, and they say yeah, and they say yeah. Uh, yeah. And- and then he says, donate yeah. here. And he says, donate here. And he's taken in $75 million to his pack. Um, he has not used any of it for recounting, uh, but he now has a $75 million war chest for when he runs for president, which, um, look. Uh, which with his spending habits will last about two weeks. Yes. But the other flip of this here, man, is that a uh, $75 million head start basically makes it impossible for all but like two or three Republicans to have any prayer of seizing the nomination from him. Um, I, I mean, $75 million is so much money. It requires you to go to the donors and say, like Ron DeSantis has to go like, trust me, I, I know how to beat Donald Trump. I, I, I know sometimes I'm still a little scared of him, but if you just give me the $100 million, I've got him beat. Uh, like, no, because they they need to give him $75 million no. to get him started. So then he actually needs to be going, I, I actually just need, I, I said 70, $100 million, I need $150 million. Uh, Like, it's not, I mean, it's a tough sell. Um, would they be yeah. better off? They, they know Trump. It was bad to them. It was bad, but they survived. Um, which is, I mean, look, look, that's how they talk about COVID. At this point in positioning for 2022 and 2024, it would be really, really awesome if someone, anyone on the left learned from the Lincoln project and and how to go knives out. Uh, On who though? Uh, how do you (laughs) knife out Trump at this point? I, I mean, I think he's damn near untouchable. It's, it's a, the only question no, he's untouchable with his base, but there's a lot of people who after January 6th, especially like they they don't want to be part of that. And like if you can't look through all of the media and everything that's come out and find a good attack ad that will swing a general election, you're not trying. Okay, really so I, I mean, look, I still think Trump winning the nomination, which I think is fairly likely, is not me saying Trump wins the election if he runs against Joe Biden again. I uh, no, I, I no, actually no. think he's a he's sort of a, a fail, uh, like sort of a guarantee. Like, like I think it's really hard for him to beat Joe Biden, honestly. Uh, you know, he had, I he had the string of he stopped winning for one second, and once you stop the once you stop the winning, it's real hard to get that. Like incumbency is also a really powerful advantage in our country. I, I mean, it just is. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I mean that's the other thing. 
I don't think it's possible to stop him from winning a Republican primary if he runs. So I think that trying to do that is a waste of time. I think gearing up for a general oh, ju- just start strategy. attacking him now. You know, actually, to that point, there, there probably is no real harm in attacking him now, because if he loses, he's not going to stop attacking the Republicans for betraying him. Do do we think it's uh, do we think that a uh, who will be the e- more easily defeated uh Republican candidate for Joe Joe Biden to go up against like is is Joe Biden do do we want the the threat of another another specifically Trump presidency or do we want the do we want it to be opened up to like but a, but it's uh but a Republican could do it better I think I think you need I think we need Trump to run because I think Joe a a Biden or a Harris is going to be way too vulnerable it just to just to the swings of partisanship. I think you need the Trump. You need the the threat of somebody as shitty as Trump to actually get you through. Yeah, I, I <laughs> th- no. This is it's a this is a very complicated question. I I, I mean, <laughs> and, and it's like complicated morally. It's complicated the way I weigh it because, like, okay, part of me goes the appropriate strategy in a primary like like if i was gonna go and vote in the republican primary the appropriate strategy for me to do is go and do harm mitigation to go in and vote for the least aberrant republican i can think of on that ticket who has the chance of winning the nomination and so if it's not because trump like openly violated the constitution and like lies about election results in a way that like, obviously I think Ron DeSantis is a piece of shit, but I don't think he'd like lie that he won the election. Well, actually him probably. Um, but like, you know, like Mitt Romney, absolutely not. So, so if it's Romney or Trump, let, let's, let's use that for my example here. My moral responsibility, as far as I see it, you got to go and vote for Romney. You got to go and vote for Romney. Now, when I wind this back, and I go, who do I think has a better chance of beating Joe Biden? I think a guy like Mitt Romney has an infinitely better chance of beating Joe Biden Absolutely. than re- rewound, now old Donald Trump, who was wrong as fuck on COVID, um, who like, it, it, all, we saw what four years of him was like. He's not, quote unquote, something new. He's more of the same. And I, I think that that thing um it is very like that's very appealing on one level because i really as strong as he is as as tough as he is in certain aspects the idea of donald trump the new flavor in town that's gone uh and i don't think he can beat joe biden i don't think he can make the case that he can do it better than joe biden because i think americans have decided in a very strong way uh, even if you want to talk about the electoral college, it's a different thing. Look at the popular vote as a starting position. We we have a good sample size of what like Americans think of Joe Biden, hypothetically even, versus Donald Trump in practice. So when they're going to vote for Joe Biden in practice against Donald Trump in practice, ha- I, as middling as the Biden presidency is, and I have many problems with it, um, I have a hard time going Americans go – in practice, Joe Biden is actually worse than Donald Trump. I think they're still going to be on that side of the ledger. And while I think there'd be some slippage, I also don't think the, well, I'm just ready for something new, um, dumb argument that gets made to the swing dependents will be able to get made um, with the same degree of efficacy because you know that Donald Trump is not something new. He was actually something old. And if you've now gotten the vaccine, 
um, which over 50% of Americans have. Um, and you're someone who's gotten the vaccine is slightly concerned that other people aren't getting the vaccine. You probably, to some degree, internally, you don't say it like out loud like that, but like if you actually had to like write it out for two or three paragraphs, not that everyone, anyone would ever make you do that, you probably blame Donald Trump for that on some level. Well, yeah, you know, um, Trump, what, January 6th moved Trump, the Republican base, in a way that I don't think we've really unpacked yet because they may be against like defunding the police or Black Lives Matter, but that's because they're heavily law and order. And seeing Trump's people try to interrupt an election by storming the Capitol is going to move the needle for some of those people and make a Trump win in a general, general election a really tough uphill fight. Because if you're a law and order Republican, like you're going to you're going to see six months of attack ads of people storming the Capitol. Yeah, that's going to be agony, right? Like, like I, I, and that's the other thing. If you're Democrats, you almost want them to win the nomination because there are a lot of these civility types, the Tea Party type, uh, like you know the Matt Lewis's of the world who really don't want to go back to one six, and I, in their guts, know that Donald Trump is a portal back to that, and the only way to ever close the door on that in their lifetime before they're like really old is going to be to shut the door on him for good here in this in this upcoming general election. That's yeah. that's actually the all of all of the monsters that we really distinctly want to stay out of power. I don't think Donald Trump can actually be the he he birthed them he gave them he gave them their banner or he, he they they glommed on to glommed on to his but i don't think he can actually be that avatar anymore like if if a, i'm more scared of a mitt romney getting in and then completely like those people are still there in the party infrastructure and him just completely losing control of it again like they're like a a a much more centrist much more uh reasonable republican essentially trojan horsing in these goofballs because they're not going away no they can't and they've shown that they can't control their base if they could control paul gosser if they could control marjorie taylor green if they could control matt gates for the love of god if they could control matt gates because he's actually making the power plays and he's evil he's the millennial roy moore i'm not giving i'm not, not like strange new respect for matt gates um but matt gates is assembling a little power base for himself right now and it, you'd be a damn fool to sleep on it um this free britney thing you could say it's cynical it is cynical um but it has a certain trade with middle america who grew up listening to britney spears and like Britney Spears music and this millennial guy this guy who is under 40 or right around the age of 40 is out there fighting on behalf of something that they sort of care about even if it's of you know nominal utility politically speaking but moreover it's not like we're on the show saying don't free Britney like he's actually picking a cause that like doesn't have like liberal opposition to it either like he's being really really smart about this and and charming public opinion but one of the things about being a populist rather than being popular is seeing where the herd is going and getting in front of it. And that was the thing I always thought Trump was going to be good at. Um, and actually, to a certain extent, like Matt Gates is in certain ways proving to be better at. He's on. He's right on marijuana. He knows. Like he is way to the left of his party on marijuana. 
Um, and, and that's entirely because he knows where the people are on marijuana and he knows it's a safe position for him to take. Um, he's, you know, to the left of his party on this Britney Spears thing. And, uh, you know, that that's because he know like he's in tune with where people are like that. He's what's scary about Matt Gates in a weird way. I, I would never call him Huey Long. Um, but like, uh, never, like not ever, not, 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 not ever, never, never, never call him you long. But like he gets populism in a way that is much closer to like actual populism than what everyone always said, oh, Trump's really good at it. And I guess part of like why we, you know, like outflanking tanks always got so silly is because like Trump never actually did the swing to the left stuff. Gates. Yes, it- he yeah. was also he was also not like Trump's not like a normal person like he was a he was a like this queenie like vaguely aristocratic guy like his son of a landlord he was he's been rich his entire life like Matt Gates not that like I don't I don't know that much about his backstory but I doubt he was the son of a real estate magnate so he actually he has some conception of what like a a normal person could like whereas like Trump like look at no Trump's clue. fashion like look yeah. at Trump's sense of aesthetics like I, I, and tell me that this man is in touch with the common man look at all of our apartments uh or all of our domiciles here in this in this shot here and like then go and look at like the Trump tower setup which oh by the way he's had for 40 years and tell me that he's in touch with the common man because like Trump tower now uh, especially like his quarters looks basically the same as it did in the eighties. Uh, I mean, he's not in touch with where Americans are today. Like there are certain ways where he like talks like Archie Bunker and that gives him a bit of a populist tinge for sure. Don't get me wrong. He talks much more like the average American, but like there are very clear and obvious ways where it's like, he's not like you. And like, I, you know, it, I, what makes me really worried, would be disgusted by you. <laughs> what makes me worried is a politician who actually much better gets how to be like you. Um, and Matt Gates seems like that kind of guy, sort of. Or Matt Gates, Matt Gates, I guess, and maybe not even he's that sort of guy. Matt Gates gives me flashes of what that kind of guy looks like, and it scares me. Yeah. That's yeah. Any anybody who can, who can Trojan horse, like who can get get back in without being as vulgar as Trump was, is going to be so dangerous. Like it's, I, I don't. I'm not not excited about it. <laughs> the one thing I think that maybe favors the Republicans, um, if like here's the other thing though, they got her on Trump, right? Because like Trump actually got the turnout numbers up, and I have real doubts for their turnout numbers if they actively sabotage Trump. Like you'd have to like Trump would have to self. He'd yeah, he has to step. He has to step away and hand it over. Yeah. yeah, I'm terrified of them ever convincing him to do that. Um, it seems really unlikely, though. It seems so dreadfully hard for them to actually be able to pull that one off. Of they'd con- have to. Get, they'd have to give him something that he wanted. Like maybe, maybe if this these legal tro- legal problems start to really really come down on them but they're they're most of them are taken at a state level like it'd be difficult for like a federal i don't know we get we get a I, new york a new york governor or a republican new york governor after new york well, city yeah, falls yeah. apart and then he you get some kind of backdoor brokering but 
it, it's I just have a really hard time. I mean, like, look, uh, especially now that we've down been down the pike of it's Mueller time, right? Like, like that. And, and look, look, I don't want to make fun of people who earnestly hoped that Mueller and the Mueller investigation was going to result in political action that took seriously the findings of the Mueller probe, which were serious findings. Um, what I I think, because sometimes I think people shorthand it and just go right there, and I'm not there at all. Um, but I think it's very clear that our rule of law has broken down, and that what people who are saying it's Mueller time and like I'm, like if you're burning a candle for Mueller, that's kind of weird it's kind of like crying for joe biden like i i don't there's like the thing that dems do that's kind of weird to me sometimes uh like yeah the the olympic people crying for joe biden like what, what what is this um but i get why people want the rule of law to kick in at some friggin point um it, it's not wrong to go stormy daniels and paying off stormy daniels during the course of an election at bare minimum should result in some sort of fine or penalty or actual criminal conviction for Donald Trump, the guy who instructed the dude who got convicted of breaking election. Like, I mean, I, I get why people are like, when does the law kick in? Um, yeah, to, to that, you know, I mean, it's, it hasn't, and there's no reason to think it will. And that's why I think that if authoritarianism doesn't lose at the ballot box, then in five or 10, 15 years, we're going to have a huge problem with someone like, say, Ivanka Trump. Yes. And and that's why I say, like, you know, it's Mueller time. Oh, here comes the New York AG or, you know, any iteration of that. Now I'm like, guys, we got to stop. It, it, Mueller time is a thing we should all be wanting to have happen in the future, as in we should want to have a rule of law that is so strong that our politicians can't subvert it when they get in trouble. Um, that they break the law, the law kicks in, even if they had a really great campaign and says, yeah, that's neat. Um, you also like absolutely withheld foreign aid to foreign countries in effort to get dirt on your campaign opponents. That's illegal. And there are criminal penalties that go with that. And you're not above that law. Um, like we should, I absolutely 100% want a rule of law strong enough that a phrase like it's molar time is laughable to ignore in the future. But right now we have a, we have a rule of law that is such that a phrase like it's molar time is laughable to take seriously. I, I think it's also, I mean, I, I think it's uh, a little bit like starting to starting to pull on a pull on a sweater and the whole thing unravels in terms of the the amount of people in As you like long away. time sorry i had to get the weasel <laughs> the 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 long term like uh there there i'm sure there's a bunch of like petty petty corrupt uh crap like rife throughout like senators sons and uh all all kinds of these like little ticky tack things like as soon as justice comes on such a high profile political issue i mean not that i wouldn't love like a a, a a purge of just like everybody pointing around like and he did this and he did this and it's like okay keep keep going keep going it's like we'll we'll get it we'll get down to the we'll get down to the end and then we'll fill the positions back in but i don't necessarily think that's going to be a nice smooth peaceful transition like gonna go well for like administrative states or like heaven forbid we're in the midst of something like a pandemic when it happens i i i think i would love to see justice actually applied i think uh 
I think it would create no, some bigger waves. This is the problem with corruption. It, yeah. No, the problem with corruption is once it starts stacking up, you're right. It's it becomes like a Jenga tower where it's like, okay, you go after that's, Hunter Biden, right? Well, that's what I think. The Koopa, the the Trump children were never gone after because of Hunter Biden, because of like, and not just like the laptop stuff, the like the the Chinese aerospace stuff. Like there there is the, the art dealings now. There. Yeah, no, yeah. they they they. Like, they I mean, the Democrats knew that they wanted Joe Biden to run as early as 2019, right? Like, like when, when the Zelensky phone calls happened, I mean, like, you know, they knew they wanted Joe Biden to run in 2018 or 2017, right? Like they, they, so they knew that that was their guy. Um, they knew that Joe Biden had baggage and some of that baggage was Hunter Biden. Um, and I think to your point, you go after the Koopa kids, then all of a sudden, yeah, you do have to talk about Hunter Biden. Um, and if you go after Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's going to be all cryy and weepy, and then maybe he can't even run for president. And then like, God help you, you have to go to other people in your party. Oh, uh, no. yeah, I know, I know. All right. Um, so. You know, it's that old thing of you don't go after mine and I won't go after yours. At, so I, I'm always reminded, uh, this is about, it's getting older now as I'm getting grayer, but like, remember the DC Madam story? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that, that's one that's always stuck with me. Uh, for those of you who are a little younger, um, I, I guess I would have been 18 or 19, but there was this story involving a, uh, a madam, a prostitution madam, who all these politicians were seeing who mysteriously showed up dead one day. The investigation went away, and we never found out who any of these clients were. Um, although, I mean, like, Imagine that. yeah, right. Uh, although I think you can certainly look at like political scandals since then and kind of put some things together. Um, like, I, I, it's it's hard to deal with corruption once it starts get once you start getting this is the problem with corruption is as it gets stronger as you get more of it it gets stronger and as it gets stronger it's harder to unravel and once you get to a certain point to your point Dan like the idea of we need a revolution let's just sweep that purgative wave and sweep it all out like that sounds really good and cathartic sometimes like they're like it, it, like the idea of if i went into the capitol and just started swinging my fist i'd probably be punching bad people like like, like right uh you know in minecraft in minecraft in minecraft in minecraft um i you know odds are my fist would be connecting with bad faces um and, and, and it wouldn't be a bad thing that was happening to some of these people they had fists coming to their faces that's neat how do you govern a society with that um that like who are the people who are coming in after i dole out all these black eyes because it's not like i should be all of a sudden the guy who's like sitting in those seats just because i went in and punched some faces um like yeah, yeah no I, I, that's that is a big problem and because sometimes you need some continuity in the administrative state but you also need accountability and the ability to get rid of bad apples within it too yeah well like, while trump was lying about coronavirus and the democrats in, in congress were selling off their stock options being sold vote blue no matter who doesn't really ring as anything genuine. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying. is So then we sweep those people all out, though. You have to replace those people. You have to replace those people with people, right? Like, I mean, on our side, it's not like... Well, I'll just throw a name out here just because he keeps bringing himself in the news up on our side. Jimmy Dore. It's not like all of a sudden we make Jimmy Dore like the, the thought leader and she gets way better, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it, ha and it actually has to be a person who is better. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that 
that is an issue. I, I mean, you know, getting rid of bad people is part of it. Replacing those bad people with good, more competent people is the other piece of the puzzle. Well, yeah, and and like, the system has gotten so corrupt that if you're better, you're forced out. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And the more corrupt you get, the more better people you need. Yeah. That's there's there's something to like the 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 money in politics incentivizes weak, uh, strong Republicans and weak Democrats like the um like you, you, you want, you want the, the, the Democrats who are going to be squishier and the Republicans who are going to be the most venal because they're, they're going to make you the most money. Yeah. Uh, not on the slate, but since we brought up door, I, you know, seeing door on Tucker Carlson this week, uh, cause we talked about Tucker oh, man, Carlson. I didn't even, oh yeah, no, no. I so catch he, that. Yeah, no, not no, so I, no, I know, but like any love for door. <laughs> No, no, but like, yeah, he's chumming up with Tucker Carlson. So I think uh, in addition to the squish dems, um, I think the other thing they like are like the purity guys. A guy like Jimmy Dore would be instantly easy to marginalize. And sometimes he even says things like, well, I'm just an idiot comedian and stuff. So like, you know, he's useful to a point, but you can also burn him whenever you need to burn him. There was a lot of a lot of hay made this week over like the M4, M4A marches uh and everything that i've seen from them so far has just kind of been like like 20 people showed up and there's one person one person like one person going off and speaking speaking to a crowd of like a couple people um and that was like door are the thought leaders and how do you deal with things like men for a or actual national security issues if these are the best and brightest we can produce Right. You know, at a certain point, you know, yeah, we got a lot of bad actors, but the idea that like a guy like Dor could like really understand, you know, for example, China this week, uh, pretty clear now that they were behind the hack of Microsoft. How's a guy like Jimmy Dore get his brain around? Like, all right, this is a nuanced situation. Microsoft is no angel. Let us not sit here and be like, Microsoft is the great company. We must defend them. At the same time, China hacking major corporations and stuff um, and, and getting comfortable doing that is not something that you want to keep encouraged. What? At the same time, you need to find a way to work with China on key issues like if they have a virus, them actually coming out and reporting it. At the same time, you also have to work with China on issues like global warming and climate change. There's a very complicated relationship here that requires nuance, carrots, sticks, um, sophisticated language, veiled language, um, and ability to understand multiple things concurrently. Um, nuance. And is the force the vote sort of approach really going to like adequately understand the needs of why it's important to actually have some sort of response to the hacking other than, well, look, guys, we do need them for climate change. So we're just going to have to let this keep happening. Him like door touching Carlson is like a wires. Like, I don't want that concurrent vein. Like that, that path will re- lead back down to like stuff that I actually care about and siphoning, like siphoning or poisoning that well in a way that I really do not like that needs to be, that is a, that is a gangrenous limb. Like that is. Yeah, it will- if, if people like that are controlling the conversation, it's really hard to bring up things like, Hey guys, maybe How- China shouldn't be manufacturing the chips for all of our infrastructure. That might be really bad. 
Like you actually really have the semiconductor shortage right now, the global semiconductor shortage right now, in no small part because of Chinese actions. Like, yeah, yeah I know. I, I mean, look, look, uh, we need to not go to nuclear war with that, but we also need to not call things that they're doing that are obviously bad good. That does nobody any services. We're we're also like, and and the 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 degree to which it's a nuanced, nuanced issue. Like we're, we're boxed in by things that are completely, completely unchina related. Like we've had, we've had uh, like carbon scrubbing and fact like air scrubbing technologies uh, for, for heavy industry, for metal manufacturing, for all of these, uh, all of these various things for like 40 years, we haven't invested in them because, oh, that would make the steel cost a little bit more. So we'll, it's better to, it's better to export. Like it's better to export the steel. Like what, what, like, it's not like having a, like if we had incentivized that, what 40 years of technological advancement on that technology would be doing for like heavy manufacturing here. Like it's, 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 there's all of these things that like, we're like, we are a little bit stuck with China because of how, it, like there was like a how the topography all ran down how the topography all ran downhill to that point yeah but but at the same time to your point there's a lot of stuff that we can do where it's like yeah but we also like i mean we do need to work with china but like we can also just get ahead of china and china like impulsively needs to keep up so like just move ahead and if you run they will follow they're like trying to beat you in a race dude like yeah like like the if we stand still, they're going to get us tied up. Like all we have to do is keep moving. I don't know. It's yeah. How do you how do you get these conversations to move forward when people like Joe Manchin are holding the system hostage? Uh, that's the real question. Um, I I mean, and when it comes to the filibuster thing, big stick, big yeah. stick. <laughs> Uh, the the filibuster thing. I mean, I you know, I we managed to go most of the episode talking about something else other than Mansion, but like I did throw it on here because a big problem for the Democrats now is uh, this HR one bill, this voting rights and voting access bill. Mansion seems to be hell bent on killing it, um, and there there doesn't seem to be a lot of sticking uh, to Mansion to get him to not kill it. He's not even willing to make a carve out in the filibuster. Uh, and, and even more maddening um, and also sort of more eyebrow raising is he's not even in favor of something like a talking filibuster. So he's not even trying to shame people for using the 40 vote threshold as a way of killing legislation. He He's just all in on helping out the Republicans. Because if you want, I, so I delineate this. It'd be one thing to say the filibuster is right and good, but we need a f- talking filibuster. Um, that if you're going to, you know, use the filibuster, there should be some pain in using it because you are holding up a vote. Um, but you should have the right to stand up there and talk to the American people and make your case and try to move public opinion and or your colleagues into your favor. Um, to say that that's like sort of the tradition of the filibuster or whatever, I don't, it's not my argument. It's not how I feel in this world, but I understand how someone could make that argument. Um, Manchin is straight up saying that the convention of the non-talking filibuster, which was innovated in the latter part of the 20th century, is right and good and worth preserving. Um, if you if you think that the Democratic Party is kind of a heat sink for change, and I think more and more people are seeing the, the octogenarians in that light, then you, you kind of have to arrive at the conclusion that they're fine with what Manchin is doing. In fact, they want someone doing that because they don't actually want meaningful change. 
Yeah, he's a shield for the other like eight or so Democratic senators like your Chris Coons is. Um, ben Nelson, not in the Senate anymore, but he would be a guy who would be like a classic, like no vote on this sort of thing. Or Blanche Lincoln, also not in the Senate anymore. She'd be a cl- classic no vote on this. Um, Claire McCaskill back in the day would be a classic no vote, scold, hand ringer. Uh, John Tester currently in the Senate. No, I, I agree. Like, look. Yeah, Diane yeah. Feinstein would be a no vote. Uh, yeah, Feinstein. wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so... Look, there are always going to be, I, I'm with you, like the donor or the, the people who oppose change like, and who are the donor class own the Republican Party, right? And then they make sure to make sure that they own 50% at all times, buy up a decent chunk of their Democratic Party. Um, and, you know, they, they made sure that, like, I don't even think they own really half of the Democratic Party, but they make sure that the 35, 40% that they own are the ones in leadership who matter so that your Pramila Jayapals, um, your Okanas, your AOCs, um, your Bernie Sanders is your Elizabeth Warrens are marginalized figures um, because they have the Chuck Schumer's of the world, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, the Chris Coons's and the Joe Biden's of the world. Um, they, they have all of the leadership level Hakeem Jeffries. They know that when Hakeem Jeffries takes over for the notorious NDP, um, like he is going to go along with uh, the Nancy D'Alessandro Pelosi machine politics arrangement because he's got a nice arrangement with the donor class because they they bought him. So they don't need to buy everyone in the House. Most of those House members can be actual like really decent liberals who you'd probably vote for in your local election um but they own the ones that matter and that's what matters because they own the ones that matter and then they own all of the republican party yeah that gets you to where you need a filibuster to pass anything and you know we're certainly not going to get rid of the filibuster because then they'd have to buy more of congress to stop things it's pretty simple really and the the other thing is, if you want to go, well, progressives can still use the filibuster. That sounds really fun and cool, except that like most of the things that Republicans want to do, they can do through budget reconciliation, which is why they love this arrangement. All those tax cut bills and everything they want to pass, those all can be done through bu- budget reconciliation. Um, so this this paradigm is not like a somehow maybe you know oh it's about 50 50 you know yeah conservatives win a lot like this but progressives can use this too as a tool no we can't not nearly as much yeah it's not going to be it's i almost like what what would we even be holding it on for like to stop a legislative uh like to stop a uh, like a legislative alter- alternative to going through the courts for row, like uh, not that that might matter for very long, but uh, no, I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what yeah what what we're trying to like what we're afraid is going to go through that wouldn't they couldn't just do yeah like you said. They can it, just it, do with re- reconciliation. It, it's it's always weird because it, it's just to me it's like you look at the way Republican governance works. Um, the only things they're really interested in at this point, and Mitch McConnell's kind of fairly explicit about it. Is he's interested in judges, which require fifty votes, and he's interested in like tax cuts and that sort of thing, um, and spending bills, both of which require fifty votes. So for McConnell, there isn't a filibuster. Um, 
the filibuster really only exists for Democrats. It's so, I mean, I mean yeah. maybe, maybe immigration, maybe they might do something really batshit with immigration if they had like 53 votes. And that may be like one thing worth holding on to. But I mean, like even, but they even got a lot of that can, stuff through the federal budget with ice and whatnot. Yeah. They, they might not, they might not need to, they can do weird. I mean, if they have the presidency, they can do all kinds of weird shit with executive orders, but, um, and then just the, the Congress with 50, with a Republican majority, you just don't need to enforce. Well, and, and like you were saying, Dan, you know, in, in this environment, like right now, the rubber meets the road in a real way with what are the Democrats actually going to be able to do about, you know, these challenges to Roe versus Wade? Someone explain to me what the strategy is. I, I mean, like, look, uh, I think it, it's a. Uh... You know, the strategy is you hope Clarence Thomas kicks the bucket here. Um, I, I mean, seriously, like like the, time between now and November. Yeah, like, right. Because lawyers for the state of Mississippi urged that the Supreme Court overturn Roe versus Wade. The state is appealing a lower court ruling that struck down a law banning most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The court agreed in May to hear the case, which will be argued in the fall, most likely in November or December. So like. That's the timetable here. That court, that case will be argued in November, and by uh, spring, um, wh whenever they come back with their rulings, and they might be spring, maybe it's summer. I, I forget how long it takes for them to actually finish processing them. There will be some major rollback of Roe versus Wade. It is impossible to imagine this case not achieving cert at the Supreme Court. Actually, it did. It's getting it's getting argued, and and this this goes to you know we have all acknowledged here that we all know that the, the DNC is going to do nothing about it. They're not going to expand the Supreme Court. They're not going to, you know, impeach any of the Kavanaugh. They're not. So we know inherently they're going to do nothing to stop it. So I'm being not cynical and not macabre or anything when I say that literally the best chance for Roe versus Wade between now and November, December, when they start arguing it, um, or when they when they actually do the rulings, is that the court somehow gets pared down to a eight, eight, uh, like an eight seat, um, court where it's five and three instead of six and three. Um, and then, and maybe only then do you have the chance of a John Roberts splitting the court and they have like, you know, they essentially have no ruling or the lower court ruling gets upheld. Um, so essentially Roe lives to fight another day. Um, but as we are currently cruising, barring some sort of rebalancing of the court where it gets pared down to eight with a five to three majority versus a six to three majority, um, Roe versus Wade is in serious danger. And the real question is how much will it be pared back when it gets argued before the courts here? Um, and it's also, it's also a little bit of a trap to keep Breyer in. Breyer can't drop out now because he won't, we won't have another, another uh, liberal to replace him on any of these cases. We're stuck with Breyer at least until this slate's done. That is actually the best argument against Breyer retire at present. And I hate him and I want him to retire, but what you are making is a rather compelling argument that, I mean, like, look, uh, we were just talking about Joe Manchin and let's finish out talking with him a little bit more before we close. Um, yeah. Is it, Given the way he's handling HR1, which is about the right to vote, uh, do we really think Joe Manchin and me, 
thumbs down Kristen Cinema are going to be <laughs> Bulldogs fighting on behalf of us getting a new replacement for Stephen Breyer on the court, who's actually a good liberal? Or do you think that they might actually try to force the Democrats to that- put a pro-life liberal on the court? Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that's bipartisan, that would be bipartisan Joe Manchin. But I, th- I, I mean, I think even like mid slate, it would be, they wouldn't even, uh, I don't think they would even hear the cases, like, unless it happened like tomorrow, like, unless it happened before they start hearing any of the cases, I think that judge would recuse themselves for most of the slate. No, Amy Coney Barrett didn't. Oh, she didn't? No, no. Amy oh, Coney- well, that's. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. The no, liberal, no. the liberal would. Yes, yeah, right. For, <laughs> for civility. Uh, yeah. For the sake of, you know, for the cohesion, the civility of society and such. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the, the liberal would find that. But Coney Barrett didn't. Um, yeah, I, they can get on the, they, she got on the court and was like ruling on cases real quickly. Uh, real quickly getting her resume double thick from where it had been throughout the entirety of her career. Uh, she's, she's almost heard twice as many cases as she has had during her entire career now. Uh, like, she, lightweight is what I'm saying. Um, so... Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's a really tricky situation. This row, I mean, look, uh, Handmaid's Tale is, like, not my favorite show or whatever, but uh, it, it's certainly one that uh, will, I think, have increasing resonance with uh, a subset of people here as we get closer to the end of the year because uh, I think Roe's in serious trouble. Um, and to that point, though, um, one thing about midterms, uh, maybe the only upside of this, is that I think it probably helps midterms. I, I think, yeah, that, no, I, that's I, what I, I was going to bring up. I didn't want to be cynical, and I, I, I absolutely feel for all of the people who will be victimized because of it. But I think it's, it will definitely be a rallying cry. It will be a slap across the face of liberals, the left, who are maybe disenchanted with Joe Biden. How, whatever, however you feel about Joe Biden, that it, the Repub- if you don't care about Joe Biden, that's cool. The Republicans aren't done caring about you. Um, you may not care about politics. Politics still cares about you, and um, you can't just like sit back and do nothing. Um, but is that positive? I don't know. I want to end on a slightly positive note. Yeah, where can people find you on the internet? At DL Carpenter. At DWATG for the show. Robert, you still got the moat around your house with the piranhas and the electrified eel? I do. I'm using my neighbor's Wi-Fi, but he has all social media blocked at the router. So I'm with the routers, yeah, and, and the server, yeah. yeah. The you gotta have the, the routers. Yeah, uh, if you use your router and you server with the router onto the modem, you can go to Patreon.com/dwatg. You can support the. There's a pinging thing that happens, and you support the show. Um, you get the video feed and everything. It's really fantastic. And, it, and if the liberal media would just report about it more, um, yeah, I think you would see. You 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 would definitely see more. Um, so that's over at Patreon.com/slash/dwatg. Don't worry about TV's the homepage. Um, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I want to thank you all so much for listening. I want to thank you guys for being on the show. And until the next one, bye bye bye. bye, bye. bye, bye.